630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30 Chad. The Edmonton Oil Kings about to face off at Rogers Place against Victoria. We'll keep you updated on that one. Off the Crystal Glass scoreboard for all your glass needs, call 310-GLASS today. NHL tonight, the Rangers lead Toronto 3-1 late in the second period. In the third, the Senators are up 2-0 on the Blue Jackets. Early in the second period, Washington 2, St. Louis 1. The Islanders on home ice with a 1-0 lead on the Stars with 13 minutes left. Early second period, Minnesota 2, Arizona 1. Predators and Flames just getting underway. Still to come tonight, the Avalanche and the Ducks and the Lightning and the Sharks. Tomorrow, 5.30 face-off show, 7 o'clock for the drop of the puck. Oilers against the Predators. My name is Reed Wilkins. Pleased to be welcomed by... Pleased to welcome to the show former NHL goaltender Kelly Rudy. Kelly, how are you doing? Fantastic, Reed, and yourself? I am doing very well. Great to talk to you. Uh, boy, it's uh, it's ex-New York Islander week here on 630 Chat because I got to catch up with Dennis Potvin last night before the Oilers-Panthers game. Yeah, so did I on uh, on Tuesday night. He, as you know, was in Calgary. So, boy, we chatted, I bet, for uh, 20 minutes or half an hour. He's always fascinating to listen to, and... My experience with him uh, goes back to, well, I first met him in 1980, of course, when I was drafted, went to my first training camp. But uh, to make the team in 1983 that just won their fourth Stanley Cup and to see a leader like Denny was uh, really incredible. I mean, you think of Reed before um, I joined the team. I, I believe it was Denny's first year, might have been a second. And the story is quite uh, famous in the sense that in an, in an effort to send a message about being on time, Denny showed up to the uh, to the rink to take the bus to Philadelphia to play a game about 30 seconds late, literally. It, it wasn't like five minutes or it wasn't two minutes. I was told it was like 30 seconds late. He's pulling into the parking lot, and Al Arbor saw his car, didn't care. He was 30 seconds late, so the bus took off. Dennis had to find his way to Philadelphia on his own. He gets there, and he's a healthy scratch. And, and that's the message that Al Arbor sent. So the reason I bring it up is because so now it's my first year. We're on a road trip to Los Angeles, and we had a number of days off, including this one uh, Sunday. We had won the night before, Saturday night in, in L.A. We had a bunch of fun afterwards. Sunday afternoon, Denny uh, gets, like, a conference room in the – team hotel and we're going to meet at say three o'clock and this meeting read is simply about where are we going to go have drinks later it's nothing important it's just that so i ended up having a little afternoon nap and i came about five minutes late to our drinking meeting basically (laughs) and he ripped into me about being on time and being a bad teammate and all these sorts of things so lesson learned so you can imagine uh the entire career I had after that never once would I ever think of showing up 30 seconds late never ever and and that's a message in fact I I go uh, when I go public speaking to especially to young kids boys and girls that are playing team sports that you cannot come late because it sends a message that your time is more important than somebody else's and that's just not true 
Wow, that's incredible. And I mean, sitting out Potvin, I mean, he was one of the best players in the league when that happened. Like, he wasn't a guy trying to prove himself in the league. So, man, that's an well, incredible Well, you know what, story. Reed? You know, I don't, like I said, I can't recall if that was his rookie year or second year, but I'm going to go on record, and I have said it many, many times. I think Denny Potvin is uh, maybe the second best defenseman to ever play the game behind Bobby Orr. Now, there's some other really great ones. Many other great ones, but Denny was the complete package, like Bob Yor. He he was skilled, but he is both. He, they were both mean. They were, they intimidated people, and you can't say that about a lot of guys. A lot of guys are great in their own ways, but not not the complete package. Yeah, well, it was cool to talk to him for sure, and and uh, he had he had a great uh, Al Arbor story about getting the guys to try meditation during training camp uh, yep. one yep. year. <laughs> he said he just would wind up sleeping through it though. <laughs> <laughs> You know who that story really sticks with, too, is Brent Sutter. Whenever we share uh, Arbor stories, Brent always brings that one up because it was so unusual, right? Right, yeah. Well, uh, you can't argue with much of the stuff Arbor did. You can't argue no. with uh, Connor McDavid's speed. Uh, incredible game last night. He had two assists and a goal. Got the game winner. Rushing yeah. in on Reimer there to score. They reviewed it. It, it was over the line. I, I mean... Just what do you think of that breakaway and how, as an ex-goaltender, how Reimer um, played that? Because McDavid was actually in pretty tight to him when, yeah. when he got the shot away. Well, uh, it's easy in hindsight to say that Reimer should have been like half a foot out and that would have been the difference maker. But you're also guarding against speed and it's about timing and trying to get that timing down just perfectly about when you think... McDavid will get closer to the net in certain situations and so on. The other thing is, I was thinking more about, I wonder if McDavid, although he scored, I wonder if he's disappointed in himself because typically on a play like that, you'd like to be barred down. And it was only about, say, what, 18 inches up, Mm -hmm. something like that. And so he got a bit of a break in that sense that Reimer's glove had uh, crossed the plane of the goal line. But, I mean, it's so fun watching... Uh, that team play and and to see how mature they are. I know I sound redundant because I say it often with uh, with you on talking about the Oilers, but uh, I'm happy to say that uh, I, I'm as I've told you many times earlier in the year. I'm a big believer, and they continue to not let people down or disappoint anymore. You know, Todd wasn't happy with their game last night. I don't think the players were either. I mean, Florida certainly controlled the the middle section of the game. For sure, and I, you know, tw- even at twenty-five, fifteen, and seven, Kelly, you know what it's like in Canada. And I still have some people. Well, games going to overtime, they're flirting with disaster, and I'm kind of like, well, fair enough. But I mean, you know, Philadelphia's won nine games in overtime or a shootout. That's more than the like. I, it's just another way. It's another way to win the game. Now I understand you don't want some of the habits from last night's game creeping in, but I don't. I don't discount overtime or shootout wins by any means. No. It's another way to get it done. That's right. And and also you it's a it's a real positive when you win games in which you're not all that happy with. You know, you got to find ways to uh to eke out some points or get some wins when you're just a little bit below the the standard that you've set for yourself. And and that's an important tool to have that uh, okay, we got this. We recognize we weren't as good, but Let's also not beat ourselves up. I mean, let's not mope uh, when we're leaving the, the arena and think, oh, wow, we've got tons and tons and tons to do here. 
Um, and the other thing is about overtime. I've always said that overtime games, um, you hope you come out on top of most of them, but they're a real good uh, learning tool for the playoffs because you'll go through many playoff games in which uh, they're settled in overtime, and you've got to learn how to manage those emotions because they're somewhat different than uh, than they are in regular uh, time. Also, I, I, I totally get it that it's three on three as opposed to five on five, but yeah. nonetheless, it's still it's still a mindset, and especially for goaltenders. Kelly Rudy joining us on Inside Sports. Okay, so the Oilers Flames played on uh, Saturday. Last Saturday, I, I think that was what you might describe as a low-event game. Uh, there, there were a lot of shots and chances, and it went to a yep. shootout, uh, and now they're coming up again on Saturday. Uh, just maybe some thoughts on, on that first game and how that might affect anything going into the rematch this Saturday night. Well, I'm glad that they're playing uh, quickly again, uh, only a week apart. Uh, get that same sort of passion uh, uh, in the game. I think that and and this might be what uh, McClellan will be happy about. If he wasn't as thrilled with their team game last night, maybe the the Flames uh, Oilers battle will sort of draw it back out of him again and get him back to where they need to be. Because I know Glenn Gullickson had not all uh, been all that happy with his team for I'm going to say maybe a week or so. He really thought that their starts had been bad for a while and stuff, but. After the game in Edmonton on Saturday, he was thrilled. Even though they lost their shootout, he thought his team played really, really well. And uh, I'm sure he's going to try and expect that uh, again Saturday. Although they can't look too far ahead. As you know, Reed, they have the uh, Predators here tonight. Yeah, then the Predators are here tomorrow night. So each team will have a a game, obviously, before that against uh, an an interesting Predators team. Some people had them going deep into the playoffs, and now they're struggling to stay in. Uh, One more quick one. I mean, we're asking a lot of questions here. Will Brassois get to play this weekend? Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he goes Talbot back-to-back. I mean, the, the player has no problem with playing all the time. I mean, every player would play it as, as much as possible. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Talbot seems to be – everybody says, well, Talbot's going to break down eventually. But I, I say, until it happens, you know, what, what are you worried about? Yeah, I kind of go I, – I look for little signs about mental – uh, fatigue and so on, and and although I I have to admit with my travel I'm not watching every single minute of the uh, of the Oilers games, but I got to tell you I, I think all in all he's handled the the workload really really well. Uh, there would be because it's such a heavy workload he's had in comparison to most guys. There would be major cracks showing right now if it was really getting the best of them, and and I'm not seeing that. All right. Well, Kelly, it's going to be a fun few days here. Thanks so much for coming on tonight, and we'll talk to you again next week, man. Have fun tonight. Okay, thanks, Reed. I'll talk to you soon. Kelly Rudy from the NHL on Rogers, former NHL goaltender. He doesn't see any major cracks in Talbot's game, so remember that if you're worried about Talbot getting fatigued. Inside Sports on 630. Ched, we're going to welcome a guy who was a great Eskimo for the past two seasons, now going to try his hand with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Darrell Walker, when we get back. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chet. Nashville has jumped out to a 1-0 lead on the Calgary Flames, and the Predators going with their backup tonight, so expect Pecorine tomorrow against the Edmonton Oilers. Former Edmonton Eskimos receiver Darrell Walker on the line. Hey, Darrell, how you doing? I'm doing very well. How are you? I'm doing great. It's good to catch up with you. How how's life right now? Uh, are are you spending some time back in Texas? 
uh, life is good right now. Everything is going pretty smooth. Just transitioning, you know, over. But uh, yes, yes, definitely spending uh, some good quality time back in Texas. You know, enjoying this not so cold weather. Drill, you're back in Texas. How, how are uh, how are people there dealing with the the Cowboys being knocked out of the playoffs? Dare I ask? <laughs> oh man, a lot of a lot of a lot of people are hurt, but you know, um, we, we we. I mean, I'm a Cowboys fan as well, so. Uh, you know, but he lost to a to a great team and a great player. Uh, you know, Alex, Alex, I mean, A Rod. You know, he is one of the best. Aaron Rodgers is one of the best to do it. So, you know, ain't no better way in going out than losing to you know one of the a quarterback that's going to be a legend for sure. So, how long is it going to take the Cowboys fans to get over it? Is it going to be you know are all the talk radio shows still about the Cowboys in that game, or what's it like right now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it'd probably be until next year that they, we actually, you know, the majority of the Cowboys fans get over it, you know. Uh, but, but, um, you know, I'm pretty happy that I'm pretty sure that you know all the Cowboys fans are just happy about the season that we had so far. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Was pretty good for sure. Well, Darrell, you, you got a pretty big opportunity here with uh, with Tampa Bay. Uh, tell me a little bit about. Uh, well, let me ask you this first. What was what was the hardest thing about uh, leaving the Eskimos behind? Um, friendship, friendships. You know, uh, got really really cool with a lot of coaches and players. Players there, you know. Um, uh, I really really. Um, had a great time with them guys out there and just made a lot of memories that, you know, um, I will forever, you know, um, cherish for sure, um, without a doubt. But, you know, just, just most of, most of my, my teammates and, you know, the, the coaches and stuff that, you know, I really will miss the most, just all the times we spent together, you know, working for one goal and that's the championship. But, you know, I really, really had a great time while I was there. Def- definitely going to miss the city as well. You know, Edmonton is pretty, is very, very nice during the summer. Was there anybody or uh, a coach or maybe even fans you met that that something really made you feel at home? Because hey, you had to move. Uh, Edmonton's a long way from Texas, and I don't know if you ever thought you'd be uh, you'd be playing for a couple of years in Edmonton in the CFL. Was there something or someone that really made you f- you fit in once you came up here? Uh, I would just have to say my teammates. Uh, my uh, when I when I when I got in, you know, the season started. You know, the practice squad. Um, I had a roommate, Shakir Bell. We got really really tight, and really really cool. So, you know, I feel like that just. I mean, we we both was from home, so we ended up adapting. and Got really really cool. He's one of my great friends. Talks to him pretty much every day. You know, it was. So, it, oh, sorry, Darrell. So with that being said, I mean, most. I mean, you know, we both. Tried out and then end up making the team, so we we kind of connected from the first moment we really met. So you know we just kind of went with the flow and everything, just you know paved this way for us. What was it like for you? Because part of your story was that first season was you were on the practice roster, and and I think a lot of people didn't know too much about you. We'd seen you in the preseason, and then you you burst onto the scene, and you have a whole bunch of big games. So what was it like for you, sort of just just waiting to play, and and what was that the experience like, where maybe you you weren't sure which way it was going to go with the Eskimos? Uh, that 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 that. Experience. I learned a lot. I learned a lot about myself. Um, you know, it was a tough experience. You know, because of course, you want to play for sure, and then you know you practice just like everyone else, but just not getting to play in the game. So you know, I just had to find a way to just stay positive throughout that whole, that whole uh, situation, the whole time period. Uh, just just to know that whenever 
I would have my opportunity eventually. So whenever I got the opportunity, just to make the most of it. Well, and you wound up having a great season. Obviously, you guys won the 2015 Grey Cup. You came close to to, to getting back uh, to getting back this year. So, um, I mean, maybe a stupid question because you won the Grey Cup. But what would your highlight uh, as an Eskimo be, or a moment that you're going to take with you for the rest of your life? Um, more than likely, I would have to say the Grey Cup for sure. You know, not many not many people can walk this earth and say they're a champion in professional sport. So, you know, I really do admire that. And, um, I mean, just, I don't know, just, just the time after, after we won the great cup, just hanging out with my, with my teammates and celebrating, you know, it was all just a great experience for me. And, um, just, just happy that I really had the opportunity to go to the CFL and play, you know, just, just broaden, broaden everything that I grew up knowing, you know, um, I really, truly do love Canada <laughs> since I've been up there. I had a great time throughout the whole process, really. Drill Walker joining us on Inside Sports, former Eskimos receiver, now getting a shot here with uh, Tampa Bay in the NFL. Hey, Darrell, take me back a little bit to uh, to when you were a, a younger guy. Were, like growing up in Texas, was this like you know five years old? You were playing football, or what? What are your first memories of of playing the game? Um, just. I don't know. My first memory is really uh, when I, I – I always liked football when I was younger, but, you know, I really didn't get to play organized football until junior high, so around 12 years old. So, um, But my biggest moment really just knowing that I want to play football was when I was watching – I was younger watching college football on Saturdays, you know, just like wanting to beat them guys at one point in time. And then, you know, later on in life it actually happened. So – Still, still dreaming, still dreaming about a lot of, a lot of things with football for sure. But um, I have to definitely go back to that Saturday morning. I woke up to watch the Texas Longhorns play <laughs> on the Saturday. I can't remember the team that was playing, but that's when I really was like, oh yeah, I definitely want to do this for sure. Were you always a receiver? Uh, definitely not. Uh, you know, I, I used to be a running back. I played running back from what seventh grade to my junior year. I just always like I just always like running backs growing up, you know, just you pretty much get the it used to be a lot of leagues used to run it a lot more than passing. So um, you know, I really I switched over to receiving my junior year in high school, you know, and it just all it just went from there, you know, just the position. Cause I've always been a skinny guy, but I played running back, so <laughs> that kind of don't add up, you know. Right. <laughs> Can't be a two pick playing running back, so you know I had to switch on over to receive or something that's you know. Guys are a lot more thinner than the running back position, but also tall. So, you know, they end up working out for me. <laughs> right on. Okay, tell me why, uh, you, why why is Tampa Bay a good good fit for you? What's uh, why was that turned out to be the choice for you here in the NFL? Uh, just opportunity standpoint, I feel like it's the best opportunity for me out of out of the many other teams for sure. Um, and I also get an opportunity to play with one of my uh, college buddies once again, one of my close friends, Mike Evans. So I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I just felt I felt very comfortable out there. Just as soon as I got there, I kind of knew, like, okay, I'm probably going to be going here for sure. So, and I, I mean, it just was the best opportunity, I feel like, for me as to come in and play. So I went with it. Good stuff. So, as you, uh, how are how are you going to follow the Eskimos now? Are you going to go online or you know listen to Ched? What are, <laughs> what are you going to do when the season starts? <laughs> I, I definitely, I definitely will be tuning to the games 
no no doubt about that. We'd definitely like to make it back up there for a game throughout the summer or sometime around there. But definitely, definitely plan to come back and, you know, hang out with the fellas a few times, maybe catch a game or so. But I definitely will be tuned in for sure. No doubt about that. Well, I know fans loved watching you play, and they wish you all the best with Tampa Bay. And uh, absolutely, if you're in town for a game this summer, I think fans will be happy to catch up with you again. Darrell, thank you so much for your time, and all the best. Keep in touch, okay? Thank you for having me. I appreciate that. Hey, this is Jordan Everly from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio 630 Chad. Big goal last night for Jordan Everly. He and the Oilers will take on the Nashville Predators tomorrow. Predators up 1-0 in Calgary. Six and a half minutes left in the first period. The Victoria Royals have just scored at Rogers Place. Now a 1-1 tie between the Royals and the Oil Kings about 12 minutes into that game. Other NHL action. The Wild are up 3-1 on the Coyotes late in the second period. Washington a 6-1 lead on St. Louis with five minutes left in the second period. Rangers 3, Leafs 2. That's early in the third. The Islanders are about to close out Dallas. They're up 3-0 in the final minute, so that'll be a win for former Oiler Doug Waite as he's become the interim head coach of the Islanders. Senators up 2-0 on the Blue Jackets with four minutes left. Still to come, the Avalanche and the Ducks and the Lightning will play the Sharks. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. The 100-meter hurdles, the high jump, shot put, 200 meters, long jump, javelin, and 800 meters. Those are the events in the women's heptathlon. And for the last several years, a Canadian girl from Saskatchewan, Brianne Tyson-Eaton, has been one of the best heptathletes in the world, including winning an Olympic medal. Well, she recently announced her retirement. Brianne, welcome to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us here on 630 Chet. And uh, congratulations on uh, on a great career. I mean, what are, the, what are the, some of the highlights on the resume here? you got an Olympic uh, bronze, couple silvers at Worlds, gold at the Commonwealth. I know a bunch of others, but, but if you had to list just three or four, would those, would those be the standouts? <laughs> you know what actually is the what I think is the highlight or what I was most excited about was actually the Canadian record in 2015 in Austria. Um, I think I just surprised myself. And I think that just kind of showed me that um, you shouldn't set limits for yourself because a lot is a lot more is possible. Like your your body and your mind can do a lot more than you think. And so I think that's the most excited I've ever been for sure. Oh, nice. Okay, good. I'm glad. I'm glad I asked that. You're uh, you're 28 years old. So uh, you know you decided to retire from from competition. How how did you know it was was time? I mean, you're still you're still relatively young, and I imagine you're. Well, I know you're still it's still in really good shape, and you, and I'm sure you have a very competitive personality. How did you know it was time to step away? You know, that's a good question because I think that's something that a lot of people, not just athletes, ask themselves. And I definitely had no idea when I was going to retire or how I would feel about it. But ultimately, it it was like a gut feeling. It was just like a mentally I felt worn out and I wasn't excited about it anymore. And I was kind of going back and forth with those feelings and trying to understand them and then Eventually, it was just like a gut feeling, like I need to move on. I'm I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. 
And I've always listened to my gut feelings and normally they're, they're there for a reason. They're trying to tell you something. So yeah, it was just like a train hit me one day and I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't, I think it's, it's time to be done. You have a great, um, and I'm going to put it this way and I think you'll understand what I'm getting at. You have a great Western Canadian story, right? Because we have so many, uh, smaller rural based communities in Alberta and Saskatchewan and you might look at uh, at a place on the map and say well you know that's no, nobody world famous is 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 going to come out of there because it's it just it it doesn't what ha- not what happens but it does happen qu- quite a bit and, and there are so many great stories and you're from Humboldt uh, how did how did your path start you know in in the in the community of Humboldt I'm really curious to know I started out just like probably a lot of really small town athletes start out just literally playing everything because there weren't enough people to fill teams of anything. (laughs) So it was like, come on, do this, come on, do that. Like we need to fill, you need, like we need to fill this team or we need to fill this line. Like, can you play? And I just loved sports, like anything that wasn't a question. As I got older, I obviously started to enjoy certain ones more than others, but basically grew up like Saturday morning basketball, skating, like running around cross country, like whatever I would do it. Um, And then in high school, I just started to get more into track. I continued playing soccer and volleyball. And then it just kind of shifted to my goal being get a scholarship so I didn't have to pay for school. And like not once when I was living in Humboldt did I think I want to go to the Olympics. So got a scholarship, um, moved, and I knew I wanted to go to the U.S. I just like it seemed like the right environment for my personality, like just really ultra competitive, um, get myself in a in a in an environment that had a lot of people with similar interests as me. And that's basically what happened in Eugene when I moved down here. I was just in the perfect environment and it just motivated me to want to do more with sport, try to make the Olympics. And yeah, and then from there, just kind of world championships, made my first Olympic team. And then after that first Olympics, I was like, I need to win an Olympic medal. <laughs> That's awesome. Brianne Tyson-Eaton joining us on Inside Sports. Uh, recently announced her retirement. Uh, great Canadian athlete. Uh, uh, I, I guess I, I was going to say heptathlon, but you've, you've done pentathlon as well, right? Yeah, the pentathlon is indoor. So it's okay. five events. We throw the javelin or run the 200 indoor. Okay, perfect. So now, when did, and you sort of touched on it, but I, I usually ask people this because I, I, I get really interesting answers. When was the, because you, you kind of mentioned you just loved competing and you weren't really thinking one day you'd be in the Olympics, but when did something click for you where you thought, oh, wait a minute, oh my God, I, I might be good enough to do that I might be good enough to be the best Canadian one of the best in the world when did you have that realization so the it kind of slowly that fire kind of slowly started to build my first year at the U of O and I think a lot of that was just because I was in it like I don't know if any listeners or if you've ever been to Eugene Oregon but it's like track town USA like it is um people live and breathe track and field here. So being put in that environment and actually have like having people 
thousands and thousands of people come watch track meets. I was like, man, this is kind of cool. Like it, it was like a motivating environment. And then my teammates, you know, everyone was working so hard. I was like, geez, I really like this. And then I remember the moment that I was like, yeah, I want to try to make an Olympic team was actually watching the Olympic trials in 2008. So this was after my first year of university, they were in Eugene. So there were 25,000 people in our stadium that we trained in in University of Oregon and I'm watching the Olympic trials and like all these U.S. athletes making teams and I was like I can do this like I want to go to the Olympics for Canada and they were doing the U.S. athletes were doing victory lap around the stadium and it was just so cool. That, that's such a great story, and, and uh, you know, I, mean, I can just hear the enthusiasm in, in your voice, and, and we all know how dedicated uh, uh, you have to be to compete at the level you competed at, but you also committed to this you know, through your late teens and your early 20s. Did you ever have the sense of, um, you, you know, I, I guess I'm asking a question maybe about the sacrifices, missing out on things you know, friends may have been experiencing. Is, did you have anything like that, or were you just so into it it never crossed your mind? You know, and I struggled more with the sacrifices when I was in high school. Um, when, when I got to college, everybody was had the same goal and interest as me. So, like, nobody was staying out late or wanting to eat crappy food or any of that because everyone just had the same goal, which made it a lot easier for me because I didn't feel like I was missing out on anything. All the people I hung out with were all staying in and watching movie instead of going out, if that makes sense. Um, but in high school was when I, I struggled with it a lot. Um, I'd have practice on Saturday mornings early in Saskatoon. So that basically meant like Friday nights, I didn't do anything. Um, and all my friends were going out and hanging out and it just, that I struggled with that a lot. Um, I think grade 12 was, uh, was probably the most difficult. And by that point, it was almost like I was, I was having trouble like I felt, I felt like I was very different than all my friends. I still got along with them, but I just felt like I was going down a different path and I was ready to, I was ready to just get there already. I was rushing through it. I couldn't wait to get to university. And maybe part of that was just me um, kind of being sick of feeling like I was missing out on stuff all the time. And I knew that when I just get to university, everyone will be on the same page as me, and that might help. But I just felt like my identity was a lot different than my friends, um, so I struggled with that in high school quite a bit. Well, that's a great answer. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, you're married to uh, Ashton Eaton, who uh, I, I, I don't think I'm overstating it, one of the greatest decathletes of all time. You, you mean he won a couple Olympic gold medals, so, so you can't argue with that. Now, you guys announced uh, you guys announced your retirement on the same day? I mean, that's 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 pretty. That's pretty. That's pretty unique. What are you guys gonna do with your lives now? <laughs> you know what? I don't know. We um, pretty much just wake up in the morning and do whatever we want. <laughs> and Ashton said to me the other day, he's like, "You know what? It's pretty easy to basically just sit around and do nothing all day if I want to." And I was like, "Yeah. I mean, there's we we don't have jobs." Um, we are pretty much taking a year off to figure out what we want to do with ourselves, like in every sense, like what kind of physical activity do we want to keep doing? Do we like running? Do we like doing yoga? Do we like cycling? Um, when do we want to have kids? Where do we want to live? Uh, what do we want to do for jobs? You know, what are our interests away from track and field? Cause it was always just track and field. So we, we talk a lot. Um, we, 
read a lot of books. We journal a lot and just like think about ourselves. And we're basically recreating ourselves because we were just athletes, just track and field. So a lot of time just spent thinking, which makes it a little bit difficult too, because you no longer have that routine or that thing that you're working towards. So you just feel a little bit lost, but I think every retired athlete goes through this. Um, The one big thing, the first big thing that's happening in our life is we're getting a puppy in less than two weeks. Oh, nice. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, make sure you have a lot of paper towels on hand. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I've heard that. (laughs) Hey, uh, you you know, one more for you. And and I just want to ask, how do you hope if if somebody if 15 or 20 years from now there's a, there's a Canadian athlete that that wins a medal or a Canadian championship or does well and and they say they were inspired by you how do you hope you maybe have inspired the next generation of athletes or or you've or you've left something that that uh you know people coming up now are are going to be able to carry on you know what i think it's hard to think about who, like, from an inside view of what you think of yourself, because it's very different than what people see from the outside. But I feel like I was not the most naturally talented of athletes, and maybe I say that because I'm training with Ashton every day and everything comes easy to him, but I had to work my butt off to get to where I was. Like, it it, I don't think it a bronze, Olympic bronze medal would have happened if every single part of my life wasn't structured and I like wasn't doing everything every day to get there. I know it wouldn't have happened. So, I, and I almost feel like that's part of the Saskatchewan like hardworking grit. You know, it's not nothing is ever just given to you. So, I would hope, and, and through that, I. tried to remember where I came from and that, you know, I had to work hard for things. And I think what I would hope is that if I inspired somebody, a younger athlete, um, it would be that they saw that it's hard work and things aren't handed to you and stuff sucks sometimes and stuff goes really good sometimes. Um, But to just stay grounded in the same person you are where you grew up and um, never forget that. Brianne, that's an incredible answer, and, and the, that, those are excellent words, I think, for, for everybody listening. Tell you what, I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, if you and Ashton are uh, taking a year off, if you find yourself in Edmonton and you want to know what it's like to uh, do some radio, give me a call. We'll sit in. You guys can come into studio. That would be fun, eh, Just to try that for yeah. a possible next career? <laughs> yeah. I might need some coaching, though, because I, I feel like there would be like a lot of blank pauses that I wouldn't know what to say. (laughs) Uh, I'm not sure about that. This was a great interview. Thank you so much for your time and, and all the best. No problem. Thanks. Well, that was great. Brianne Tyson Eaton, former Canadian heptathlete, Olympic medalist, world champion, medalist, Canadian record holder from, uh, Humboldt, Saskatchewan, just some very big things, and that was some interesting perspective on her journey. And just 28 years old, now a a new chapter of her life, along with her husband. All the best to them. We're going to update the scoreboard when we get back. Final few minutes inside sports of 630 Chet.
Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. I remember interviewing Erie Otters coach Chris Knobloch a couple of years ago when we knew the Oilers were going to draft McDavid, and Knobloch said that McDavid is so unselfish and, and he he wants his teammates to succeed as much as he wants to succeed himself. And did you notice how enthusiastic McDavid celebrated Zach Cassian's goal last night? A deflected puck that comes all the way out towards center ice, booted free by McDavid. Streaks in, dishes, one-timer, score! on the back end, set up by Connor McDavid, who records his 100th NHL point. For Cassian, it's his first goal since the Heritage Classic. They're definitely aware. Um, you know, everyone kind of knows what's going on with each other, and you know, I was really happy for him. Um, you know, this guy brings it every night for us, and you know, he's such a vital piece to our team. And, and um, you know, we see a guy go through a drought like that, especially when he's scored goals and, and had him called back and you know, off his skate and, and that kind of thing. So, you know, we were definitely pulling for him, and uh, I was just happy for him. He gets points and scores goals almost every game, so uh, it's one of those things. Uh, he made it very easy on me. I just put my stick on the ice, and uh, he hit me, and I had a wide-open net. But uh, it was a great play by him, and, uh, yeah, we were both pretty excited. Cassian breaking the long drought last night. Eberle as well. Oilers beat the Panthers 4-3 in overtime. They have won four straight. They will host Nashville tomorrow night. We have that for you on 6.30. Chet Faceoff show at 5.30. The game will start at 7. And then Saturday, Edmonton at Calgary, 6.30. Face-off show on Saturday, and the game starts at 8. Flames and Predators playing tonight. Flames couldn't cash in on a two-man advantage. one nothing Nashville after 1. After 2, Arizona and Minnesota tied 3-3. Also after 2, Washington cruising tonight, pounding the Blues 6-1. Rangers lead the Leafs 3-2 with 8 minutes left. The Senators shut out Columbus 2-0, and Doug Waite making his debut behind the Islanders bench gets a 3-0 win over the Dallas Stars. Still to come, the Avalanche and the Ducks, and the Lightning will play the Sharks. At Rogers Place tonight, 2-2 between the Oil Kings and Victoria after the first period. Rex in Victoria. Texting in after the Brianne Tyson-Eaton interview. He says, awesome interview with Brianne Reed. Wish I could have followed her career more. Well, she, you know, hey, she's in one of those sports where, uh, you know, you get followed every four years when the Olympic cycle comes around. Uh, you know, that's life for those uh, athletes. But I think a reminder there, Rex and everybody else, that, and to me too, that, you know, there are a lot of excellent athletes representing Canada very well. Uh, on a daily basis and working very hard in sports that don't get a lot of attention. But yeah, I found her interview very interesting. Thanks to our producer, Dave Campbell, for uh, connecting us tonight. Also want to thank Warren Mulvey, doing a great job as the studio producer. Warren, thanks for uh, working, buddy. You're very welcome, Reed. See, you're so you're so modest, you don't even have the mic ready. But sometimes I will talk to you, old boy. It's okay. What are we going to do? Uh, so we got the Oilers game tomorrow. The next edition of Inside Sports will be on Monday. Enjoy the Oilers games. Enjoy the NFL Conference Championship games. I will take Patriots over Steelers 28-23. And I will take Green Bay over Atlanta 31-24. The guaranteed-to-be-correct picks. Charles Adler tonight is up next. 
Get more on the Inside Sports page on 630Ched.com. Thanks a lot for tuning in. Six thirty, Chad. Inside sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.